You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. Hey, welcome to the Station F podcast. I'm Cindy Yang, and today we'll be catching up with Alex Boisiz, co-founder and CEO of the hot remote hiring startup Deal, and Anisha Charya, a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz and one of Deal's early investors. We'll be diving into the story of Deal and talking a lot about remote work, which the past year has proven here to stay. Also, with Alex and Anish both having previously founded successful companies, you can expect to hear lots of general startup wisdom along the way. Let's dive in. By the way, we are super excited to announce our new podcast partner, TikTok. TikTok is a key platform for businesses. By constantly making sure that the platform remains a safe place for everyone, TikTok offers a welcoming and positive environment where companies can express themselves in their most authentic way. So what if TikTok was the asset your business needed today to thrive tomorrow? Hi, Anish, and hi, Alex. It's so great to have you both with us. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having us. Alex, I just want to start with Deal. When I first came across your company, it was during uh, lockdown, and I thought it was incredible. Uh, our team at Station F loves it. We even have a perk for our residents um, to hire talent remotely. And you'd think that it's a company that's born out of COVID, but no, you guys actually started earlier. So what was the impetus for starting Deal? Yeah, uh, of course. Well, uh, thank you for having us. Uh, I'm really excited to chat. And uh, I actually haven't done a podcast with Anish before. Uh, so this is going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> I love this. But deal. Yeah. So deal. So yeah, you know, we, we you know, the, the concept of deal is pretty simple, right? We want to help companies hire anyone anywhere, contract their employee. Like there's a lot of things I can talk about. But to keep it simple, hire anyone anywhere completely. And uh, yeah, we were borned out before COVID um, for a few reasons. You know, uh, I think the main one is the product founder fits behind that. So, you know, I'm, I'm a French guy. I mean, I was born in France and then I moved to Israel, to the US, to the UK, to Spain. And my co-founder was born in China, moved to the US and back to China and kind of all around. So, you know, I, I had the opportunity to, to firsthand really uh, experience that uh, this talent everywhere and enabling this talent is, is, is to get hired by the best companies is, is a critical mission and something I'm very passionate about. Um, you know, if you, I remember at school, I was at the Technion, I was working, I was in class with those two amazing Albanian guys and they were one of the brightest engineers I've ever met. And when they went back to their country, you know, I'm not going to say their salary opened, but it was like less than like 2K or something like this. While all my friends in the Bay Area working for tech companies were making like north of 250 or 300K. Um, and, you know, I was like, those guys are as talented, if not more talented, there's definitely something that's wrong there. So, you know, redistributing all of this and making it more accessible was, yeah, it's definitely something I have dearly to my heart. Just to add to that, you know, you're right. It is a company that seems like it would be born out of COVID, but there's a bigger secular trend uh, that I think matches the, the micro experience that Alex and Shua have had, right? Which is the world where you had one employer for your entire life. And at the end of that job, they threw you a party with cake and coffee and a gold watch. Um, that's over. And, you know, employers want more flexibility. And so do employees. I think for Gen Z, they're expecting to have many employers or maybe even have many employers at the same time um, in their career. And it's just a it's a big mindset shift that deal is on the right side of. 
Yeah, we can do the gold watch and the cake if you want, right? I said it once, I'll say it again, any day. I love it. I like how you think, Alex. Um, all jokes aside, it's a really good point that you're making, Anish, here about the macro trend in work and employment. Now, I'm curious to know, how did the two of you actually meet? How did you find each other? You know, I've never heard your side of the story, Anish. I love your side, and I give mine. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, you know, one thing that we do a lot of, Cindy, is just um, meeting founders through founders. So I just find that founders actually are awesome investors and just have a great nose for who are the most interesting people. So the way that I actually found out about Alex and Deal is through Ryan Hoover. Um, and Ryan is, of course, you know, prolific founder, great human, and really early investor in Deal. And I chased Ryan down right when I started in Dreesen and said, hey, I don't, don't show me your portfolio. Tell me one person that I should meet. Who's like one person that every time you talk to, you walk away more energized? He's like, yeah, it's easy. Alex from Dill. So then I started chasing Alex all over the world. Uh, and, you know, six, seven months later, we were lucky enough to get a deal done together. What's your side of the story, Alex? It's, uh, more or less the same, actually. Uh, Ryan told me, hey, you got to meet uh, Nish. He's great. Um, he's going to be you know, super pumped by the company and he's going to share the vision. Um, I remember meeting a Nish. Um, what was it like in a coffee shop? What, what, it, was, it was South uh, Park. By... The park, I think. South Park. Yeah, yeah, it was in South Park, and um, and yeah, we had a really good chat, and we were like, okay, well, we'll we'll chat at some point again, maybe. Uh, and then, yeah, six, seven months later, I had the the luxury of meeting him again, and I think you know what I remember and what I was most excited about was uh, how how deeply he understood the problem we were trying to solve. Uh, and why we were the right people to solve it. I mean, the company was, it was funny, the company was very early still, right? Like, we're still, I think you invested at the inflection point of like our first big inflection point, like right before it. And at least where we felt, uh, I don't know if you remember from uh, the, the GP presentation, where we felt, me and, and True at the time, that we were on the right track to start moving from a funder driven sell cycle to, uh, an actual sales cycle with a real account executive and real head of sales. And, uh, yeah, it was, a uh, it was a really good timing for us for sure. The, uh, just the, the hustle, the energy and just how crisp the vision was, you know, like sometimes you get one of the three less often you get two of the three, but to get three of the three in a founding team is unusual. So it's definitely earlier than some of the other investments we typically make, but it was, it was just so clear where deal was going at that time. It's pretty crazy. The first time that I heard of Deal, I think he had just raised $30 million. And just a few months down the line, I see this huge headline on TechCrunch with something like, boom, remote hiring startup Deal just raised over $150 million with 20x growth and achieves unicorn status. I was going to say, I can't wait for you to see the next headlines. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Not raising ah. again for a while. Another 20x. That's all we need, all right, Alex? This year. We, we, we did grow 20x. Some pressure. We feel some pressure here. From, this from is true. now, this from is true. like July to July, we grew over 20x now over the last that year. Is true. So, you know, I still, still count. Still count. I also feel, Alex, that you might be like one of the best people to ask about uh, trends that you're seeing on the future of work. Traditionally, you'd probably think that people that you hire remotely work on a contract basis rather than a full-time worker basis. Um, so what are some numbers that you're seeing in this space? Yeah. Um, yeah, I might be one of the good person to ask, given we've got a decent amount of people using both. Um, so, you know, a few things. First, some of the trends, um, you know, without being able to drop names, we've got some of the biggest companies in the world, some of the biggest tech companies as customers, and um, they've definitely switched their model where um, they're kind of focused on just finding the best talent, regardless of location. Uh, so we're definitely seeing some companies that, 
you know, we're not used to hiring remotely, that we're very HQ focused, like completely change the way they see things. And, and that's actually one of the things I'm most excited about is when we have those bigger companies hire like their first few hires internationally, it becomes so easy and so simple for them that they just start expanding, right? And, and they grow like crazy, which is really fun. Um, when it comes to contractor versus employee, look, uh, it really depends on situation, right? Like people that have already been working remotely, like they're really comfortable with the contractor setup. And, you know, although it might not be sometimes the best thing, like there's some compliance things that you need to think about. I think um, that's like, the pre, uh, pre-COVID, like most of the people are very comfortable with the contractor setup. I think the employment setup that we have today, and you know, we do that in over 50 countries now, has really helped a lot of people that were not used to work on that model get hired by some of the best companies and make the transition really smooth. And then it also falls down to like company policies, right? Companies have to be comfortable with it as well, right? And there's some models that they're comfortable with. There's some countries and hires that they're comfortable with and others that they're not. So giving them the flexibility of just do what's right for them for a specific hire and, you know, being able to just switch from one model to another and just have the right thing so that you you feel comfortable from a compliance standpoint, you're, you know, tax-wise and all of that, everything is in order, um, is one of the key drivers of why, you know, deal has been successful so far. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you've seen so many companies that have had this remote or even hybrid strategy. Um, and I wanted to see with you if you think there's any kind of best practice to navigate um, cross time zone collaboration? Because I think that's probably one of the main things um, that people have in mind uh, when it comes up to setting up that you know remote work strategy, right? See, it depends. If you ask Anish, what he thinks is we work uh, across all time zones. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no. So, so not really. You know, the way <clears throat> the way we. How do many things, countries are you in? Actually, I didn't ask you this earlier. Um, so we're like two hundred and fifty people now across around fifty countries. So wow, we made our first like we made a real <clears throat> a real jump. We hired like uh, you don't know that yet, Anish, but we hired like four or five people in Australia. Oh. Um, that is like a hell of a gap. Like that is a very interesting one. <clears throat> so how do we do things? Um, you know. And there's different stage in a company, right? Like very early on, you know, maybe not everybody would agree with me, but we went through Y Combinator and me and Shua were like locked in a room in San Francisco for three months shipping, 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 right? And that has like, that was super crucial for us and to, our, to everything that we had done. So uh, I think very early on, like I tried to avoid, uh, I'll try to avoid some like early time zone changes. But then, you know, right away we started hiring uh, engineers in Ukraine and in India and some, you know, our first marketing hire was, uh, leading marketing with today is like from Serbia. So we really hire people from all around the globe. And, um, you know, what I would say is uh, the way you need to think about time zones is what works for you as a company. So early on for us, like sales in the U.S., product and engineering in Europe made a lot of sense. And, it, you know, it just bonded people better and the cycles made, made a lot more sense. And then as soon as we started getting too many customers, you know, having the ability to cover from a support standpoint, from a dev standpoint, like all the other time zone was super important. And that's when we kind of like blew it out of the water and said, hey, we're just going to hire like whatever the best talent is. And then, you know, you work through things, right? <clears throat> you work through... How do you find the best talent geographically? Um, how do you find the best talent? Do you build a strong brand? That's super important. So like a remote first brand. Um, I mean, generally, right? Like you should be building a strong brand, right? And the reason why Andreessen has some of the best people is because they've built a strong brand. So that's not remote or not remote. You should be building a strong brand. Um, second is you you make things really clear. So like, you know, a lot of people are looking for remote jobs today. So uh, within your outreach, within your employer brand, within every single step you do, you build a framework that makes them feel comfortable and they really understand right from the get-go, like 
what are the tools you're using? What are your working hours? Like, how are you set up? Are you async? Are you not like, are you synced? And, and that also like sets you up for the best talent that is the right for you, not just the best talent in general. Uh, and then you start looking for them. Uh, instead of sending your recruiters to recruit in New York, you ask them to look what's up in London or what's up in Odessa, and that's how you find them. I think um, something awesome. that Deal's done really well here, you know, is just over investing in onboarding and communication. Because I think one of the things about a physical office is that you have this serendipity. You know, you go look over your shoulder and ask someone a question, that proverbial water cooler talk. Like, of course, that's much harder to engineer over video. And it feels like what Deal's done a nice job of is, hey, you know, we're, don't worry, we're going to help you both like get all of the knowledge you need to do your job well, but also build the relationships. And I don't know, Alex, that seems to be something that's a really core part of your leadership style. Yeah, we definitely do that. We definitely build a lot of that into our style, uh, into our onboarding, into our like weekly meetings, whether it's all hands or product meeting, into like our team time, into like the company retreats we're building. So, um, you know, for me, I actually, pref- I have, you know, my little secret is I've actually never worked in an office in my life, so I don't even know what it feels like, really. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the way we're trying to build this is what makes us comfortable, right? When we were two people, three people, four people across time zone, what made us comfortable and try to reproduce as much as we can of it at scale. Of course, there's some things you lose along the way because, you know, it's harder for me, for example. I still interview, I don't know if you know that either, Anish, I still interview every person we hire at Dill. So you know, there's still that, that little cool. touch there, but... And it's definitely harder for us to to scale some of those parts, but I think the key things that we've built and the different products we use to to make the team feel like uh, closer uh, is super important. And on the flip side, you know, it's different types of people that you hire, right? Some people are they don't like the model; it's not for them. They want to be at the office. The people we hire, the people that are excited about working in that setup, and are going to do their best to make it work for them and work for us. I'm actually curious to know, what do you think working will look like five years down the line, 10 years down the line? Because today, I think a lot of companies are exploring hybrid mode. A lot of them want to revert back to a office mode as soon as possible. Some are embracing a fully remote route. What do the two of you think? What do you think? I, that's, yeah. that's how I line with that. There's two things. I think personally, when I first, actually, when I first heard of Deal uh, from my colleague Guillaume, so the, that I told you about who introduced uh, Deal to our community at Station F. I was like, whoa, that's so cool. I, I wish I knew that because I'm a Canadian in France. I would have loved to, let's say, work, I don't know, in Japan, in Bali, and be able to work for a company that operates you in English. You can still make that happen. You know? <laughs> yes. still make that happen. Hey, no, no recruiting on this call. <laughs> I would, well, not even recruiting. I would love to support Station F as a customer. You tell me how, and then I'll make, you know, I'll have you on the Japanese entity and you can work from wherever you want. I like the idea of this. Let me, let me talk about it with my boss a little bit and come back to you. Now, back to what you think of the future of work. Anish, you want to take it first? Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, look, I think that in terms of what's going to happen with the future of work, I think there's two or three trends I think are interesting. So one, I think, look, if you're, if you're mass mutual, let's say, you're some big incumbent, um, you never would have considered remote work pre-COVID for all the obvious reasons, regulatory risk, et cetera. And now you've had to embrace it. And I think for a lot of these incumbents, they realize two things. One is that it can be you know, just beneficial to the bottom line because they can hire people that you know, maybe don't make quite as much. But two, they actually have access to a talent pipeline. You know, every company is becoming you know, a software creator or is going to be disrupted by a software creating company. And if you're a sort of stodgy incumbent, then it's really hard to hire engineers in Boston or the Bay Area or whatever. 
So I think one, a lot of incumbents and sort of traditional companies are going to embrace remote work, which, you know, would Google have moved to remote work? Like maybe they would have done it anyway, but mass mutual never would have. So I think that's, that's one interesting trend. I, I think the other kind of on the other side of it, the other interesting trend, and this is a little more futuristic is just the concept of micro work. You know, like what does work mean in the context of employment? It means you go work eight hours a day for one employer, but how could you sort of reward, incentivize and allow people to do an hour of work, a week of work, a month of work? And some of that is happening in the crypto world, but there isn't a reason it can't happen in the non-crypto world as enabled by platforms like Deal. Yeah, my, my take's a bit more traditional. I think like I think there's definitely gonna be involvements in that, right? If you look at my little sister, like she definitely is not gonna work the same way my grandpa did, right? He worked at uh, a tube station in Paris, right? And he, if you ask him, he had the best life in the world. If you ask me, I'll never do that. Like no way, right? So it's uh, it's there's definitely a big shift on like how things are being done. Uh, you know, my view is is you know very biased, of course, but for me is some bubbles are kind of going to burst right if you look at the barrier bubbles the prices for engineers and and that is going to force the hand of a lot of companies you know we're very lucky today as founders to live in in a world where there's a lot of money for us to build the companies we dream of which is great but i think at some point you know <clears throat> spending 500k on a level three or level two software engineer is just like nonsense um so i think this is going to burst out in a way that a lot of companies are going to have their hands forced into hiring outside of these bubbles uh, and this is when things are going to get quite interesting where, you know, if you look at companies like Dill or GitLab or like Mattermost, other companies that are like remote first, the way they've approached the problem is is quite like, it's quite drastic, right? Like fully distributed, no office, et cetera. But the problem we solve through that is is quite impactful, right? Like the ability to hire 250 people in less than a year, right? That's something that's really hard to do if you're only hiring within a simple circle, right? So I think... Um, my you know short term for sure vision is that most of the companies are going to start understanding that you need to have like some form of remote policy right one enabling your own employees today but second just having the ability to get the talent you might not be looking for it but why say no to good talent that's coming your way and that's maybe more affordable so i think generally every company is going to have a global presence uh, when it comes to hiring everybody's going to have remote policies whether you know it's stretched with some companies saying hey you can work from wherever you want, but you cannot be more than outside of the country for more than like 60 days because of the tax liability or you know, another approach. There's a lot of different ways to approach that problem. And I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, most of the companies that won't solve for this are either going to lose their talent to companies that are open to it, or they're just going to be, they're just going to have a hard time from just a pure burn side, right? Like hire the best people because the best people will want to work for the guys that let them work from wherever they want and give them more flexibility in general. 100%. It's going to be a competitive disadvantage to not support this in the future. I see. Agree more. And it doesn't mean you don't have an office, right? It means that for the people that do want to do it, for the people that do want that flexibility and need that, right? Let's say, don't even think like remote from Japan to the US. You know, let's say I'm a working mom. I work in Westchester. You have, your office is in Manhattan, right? Like, let me work from home. Let me go pick up my kids, right? Like, it's not, it's, it's more Absolutely. about the idea that give, you give back control to the, the people where, They'll work as hard. The output is what's important, but giving them a sense where they don't have to like commute for an hour and a half in the morning to get to work and sit down and then leave and then be in the tube and be sweaty. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure you've taken the tube in Paris a couple of times by now. Like I, I hate it, right? You'd have to pay me a Too lot many of money times. Yeah. to do it. 
right? So, so you know, it's uh, well, I come and I say, hey, you work from wherever you want. All I care about is the output and the, the, the beauty you bring to the company and your work. And uh, are you going to work for us or are you going to work for the company that makes you come into their tiny office in Manhattan? You know? Mike dropped will work for you, Alex. <laughs> so you're both actually based in Silicon Valley, which is like the tech mecca. I think, Alex, even for you, the fact that you're French uh, and moved there to build your company it says something, right? Um, and so, ish. but I am not based ish. in the valley <laughs> at all. You're not based in the valley? No. Where are you based? <clears throat> that is a great Anywhere. question. Anish, where do you, where am I based? <laughs> I mean, it depends on the day. Yeah, I'm usually between um, a, in between Tel Aviv, London, and San Francisco. So whenever Anish and Shua miss me too much, I, I go to San Francisco for a bit to say hi. <laughs> uh, but I spend most of my time between London and, and, and uh, Tel Aviv. Um, I'm actually almost like maybe like a month, a year in the Bay Area. Um, every single run of investment that we raised was fully remote from Tel Aviv or from London. So I am, you know, I think the Bay Area is amazing. I think it's given us a lot of things. And by the way, I think my co-founder being in the Bay Area and being, you know, working with the sales team and enabling them from there has been really helpful. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not a Silicon Valley guy, Anish is. <laughs> I mean, I am. I put one on TV. I'm, I'm a Canadian guy, but yes, I live here now. With all the changes that we're seeing, what do you think is the relevance of moving to Silicon Valley to start a company today? I mean, look, I think that pre-COVID, I would be lying if I told you there wasn't a competitive advantage to being in the Bay Area, at least for starting. Because look, we talked about luck and serendipity, and it just it's not that people are smarter, it's just there's more people trying, the community is here. Look, I think post-COVID, what's happened is there's this unbundling of Silicon Valley networks, business customs, capital, all of that from the physical place. So I think for the first time, just as Alex has demonstrated, you can tap Silicon Valley without being here physically. Um, but look, I think that if you're if you're building a company and you're doing the zero to one, you know, I generally think it's a bit of an advantage to be here. I mean, same for us, right? Like if we wouldn't have been at Y Combinator, you know, you got a, a French guy and a Chinese girl with no network in the valley starting a company like you know, I think COVID definitely catalysts all of that where it became easier to hop on a phone with someone like Anish because, you know, I mean, he loves to see us and it's easier for him to get a better sense of someone when you meet him specifically when you're going to give them, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, let's, you know, let's be very practical. I prefer, <laughs> I prefer to see the people before I give them that much money in general. <clears throat> but uh, it's definitely changed the game when it comes to fundraising, right? And, you know, a lot of my friends are definitely not based in the barrier and they're able to raise money you know, the market's a little crazy, but they're able to raise money without uh, without having to, you know, to some extent. I don't like the barrier, so I'm going to say sacrifice time and be there. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> it's an advantage. Look, if we were, if we wouldn't have been at the time at YC in the barrier, would we have raised the money we did at the time? I, I, I'm not sure, right? So um, I, I'm thankful that it has changed because I, it definitely benefits us people that don't want to be there per se, but uh, it's true, right? Anish is definitely right on this. Anish, have you changed kind of your investing scope uh, post-COVID? Like, are you more global now than you used to be? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I think that there's, uh, you know, what's the Peter Thiel says, like rules are the enemy of returns. So there's no hard and fast rules. Uh, and, you know, one of my earliest investments in deal was just as COVID was starting. So it was kind of pre-COVID. So look, I think the best founders, there are no rules for investing in the best founders. You just invest in them no matter what. 
That said, as a general pattern, yes, I think that we, we ask a lot less, where is the team based and more, does the team have a Silicon Valley, you know, mindset, pace, you know, access to the networks, things like that. I think, you know, if you look back like a couple of years, um, <clears throat> if five years ago, I would have met a niche, maybe not your niche, but a partner at any fund. And I would have told them that I have amazing engineers in Russia, in Ukraine, in Israel, in Serbia. They would have told me, cool, so you outsource. Uh, you know, right. That, right. 100%. <laughs> that would have been the answer yeah. where today, you know, people say, oh, your team's global. That's amazing. You have a yeah. great access <laughs> to a great talent pool. Well said. Exactly. Yes. And Anish, more generally speaking, um, I know that you invest in fintech and fintech uh, adjacent companies. I think mm -hmm. that's a word that I actually learned from reading your bio. Cool. Um, where does deal fall in this spectrum? Yeah, look, I think deal is an interesting. So one of the broad themes that I've been investing against is just that like every aspect of our lives, every financial product is going to change for Gen Z, um, you know, whether it's credit and credit building, investing, banking and working. So it feels like deal is a very good fit for that sort of trend for how the nature of work is changing. And, you know, uh, what the, my partner, Angela, said that every company is a fintech company now. I think it's quite true. I also think there's a part of the business that, you know, we talk a little bit less about, but the sort of B2B to C, which is how do you actually get financial services to a lot of the individuals that are working on the deal platform? And that's a sort of long term, very you know, very direct sort of fintech opportunity that I'm, I'm super duper excited about. So yeah, so, so deal is actually very core to the thesis that I invest against. I mean, you know, one thing, one thing you should know is uh, most of the people on our team are all, they're all ex-revolutes or fintech companies, right? So um, we, you know, when people ask me, what is deal? Um, I'll tell you, we're a fintech with strong HR and legal layers on this that enables you to do things right. But at the core, our ability to process and pay out you know, millions of people at scale compliantly with payroll, with deduction, with withholdings is really what, you know, what sets us apart from everybody else in this market, right? That foundational base that is a fintech base. That's yeah. right. How are you compliantly available in so many countries? All right, sales pitch then. Okay, let's do this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's two ways that we support today people uh, in order to hire outside of their country. So the first one is the model where they want to work with people as independent contractors. Uh, so in that model, what we do is um, we enable a company to come and start um, um, an actual contract with someone that's going to be localized to both parties' side of the law. Uh, and we actually go even deeper, right? So you know, I'm going to assume a little bit of your audience is French as well. So in France, there's a lot of ways to set up as an independent contractor, right? You can be an entrepreneur, you can be an SIRL, you can be a lot of different things. And that actually affects the contract itself and how it should be structured and the documents that you need to have, right? So end-to-end, we, -end, we make it really easy for you to engage with someone and make sure that they've got all the right compliance set up and that the contract that you're signing actually you know, encompasses every single change in the law that you would have if you were within California versus Quebec, right? Quebec has different, Montreal, right? Quebec has different laws than, uh, than the rest of Canada and the rest of the other provinces. Uh, and then we make everything super easy, right? You engage with them, you click pop-up buttons, you start a contract and you can pay them. On the flip side, the other model, the employee side, what we have is we have about 50 of our own entities right now live in different countries. Uh, for the country we don't cover just yet, like a little too complex, like a China or others, we still want to serve our customers. So we work with local partners. There. Uh, but the idea is that we want to own the full stack. We want to have our own entities in every single country. We have about 50 of them today where we actually have everything set up so that if tomorrow you want to move back to Japan, uh, back, if you want to move to Japan, because uh, I don't think you're, you've lived there, or back to Canada, actually, if you wanted to move back to Canada, we can actually employ you for Station F there under our own entity. 
And all they'd have to do is settle a simple invoice and then we'll do everything, HR, payments, uh, payroll, everything. Got it. Super sold. I have to share this to my boss um, about my move to Japan, obviously. <laughs> Want to go back to Canada? We can make that. We're, we're registered in Quebec as well, so we can serve you in the province. Ooh, there you go. I mean, that wasn't in the plan, but yeah, right, it's something right, to keep in mind. Start. Nothing beats a nice poutine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, um, we're almost up our time. So I'm just going to wrap up with three questions, uh, starting with you, Anish. In general, what do you look for when founders um, pitch at you? And what struck you most about Alex and Shuo? Yeah, I mean, I think so. There's a bunch of things that we look at when when founders, we meet founders and what we talk to founders, but it feels like one of the strongest signals is just um, just urgency and velocity. I think like I'd be hard pressed to find another team that has the same kind of urgency that Alex and Shuo have. You know, they hold themselves to a very high standard. They're never satisfied. They're always shipping software. So I think that was one really encouraging sign. And, you know, you just sit down for 30 minutes with Alex. Some of the you know, maybe CEOs I won't name who are angel investors in the company, their feedback once they meet Alex is like, wow, you know, that guy is like, there, he's got no ceiling. So that's actually like one thing that I picked up on when we first met. In, in terms of the framework, you know, there's three things that I typically look at. You know, one is the founder and why are they authentic to the problem? Because that's actually, you know, that's really important. Is their superpower a match for the problem they're solving? Related, you know, what's their non-obvious insight? And, you know, two years ago, it was crazy to say that remote work will be the default way of working. Uh, and now that's sort of played out to be true. And then three is just the secular trend, you know, like, why now? Why hasn't this been built? Because what we found is most ideas that don't work are right idea, wrong timing. So why is it right idea, right timing? And, you know, a, a lot of that was what we saw in Deal. Super interesting. So what are the companies that you're both most excited about these days? Apart from Deal, of course. Anish, you seem much more competent than me. Tell me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, I think that maybe a couple I'll mention, like, you know, we talked about Gen Z, you know, the way I describe it is the first post-bank generation. So it feels like there's a lot of companies being built for the way that they want to access financial services, work, et cetera. I think Deal is absolutely that company for how they want to work. You know, there's, there's a couple of companies I'll mention. You know, one is a company called Stir that's helping this uh, Gen Z, if they're creators and they're sort of creating content, helping them sort of get paid and share revenue. So that's like an interesting one. Another one is called Titan, which is a sort of hedge fund wrapped in a mobile app that helps people not just invest and make money, but also learn about investing. Sort of if Robinhood is is the new Schwab, then Titan is the new Fidelity. Um, so those are a couple of other interesting companies, I think, that are playing on this trend of, you know, financial services being reinvented. Yeah. And on, on my side, you know, uh, there's two companies I really love um, that we've been actually working very closely with. Uh, the first one is called Frontier. Maybe you've heard of them. They actually just announced their seed round. Uh, and, you know, they've helped us find them. You know, you're asking me, how do we find great talent in the specific category of talent that they help with? They've really built a platform that really enables you to find the best people around the world just for the the skills. And it's usually around, for us, at least around the customer support side and the success side, which is you know, a critical role for Dill and the experience and you know, their ability to deliver and bring some of the best people for us. Uh, and, you know, we have a very quick hiring process as well. Like we know who works and who doesn't work based on our principles and how we see things. So that's been really great. Uh, and the second company I, I love a lot uh, is called Huffy, uh, Huffy.co. And what they do is they help people... Um, build their home offices and they do that around the world. So 
know, that's something that we wanted to build at Dill. We might add into our product as well at some point, but the idea that we give you the ability to easily set up a full office from MacBook to, to nice chairs so you don't hurt your back and things like that in a click. And it doesn't matter if you're in Russia, in Costa Rica, or in Brazil, it's super powerful. And you know, I think this is one of the other enablers of uh, remote work. I know you invested in a competitor, Anish, so... <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't me, but yeah, our, our firm did. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And so the population that we have at StageF is actually early stage companies, right? Um, pre-seed, seed stage. And both of you have a lot of experience either building companies or operating at a very high level. Um, and what are some of the tips that you have for someone who's starting out? I'll go first. Um, the tips I have in general for starting out, the first one is uh, build a product, get traction. Uh, and then the investors will come running. Like that's how it works. Um, if you, you know, if you look for, like, I don't like the idea of raising on nothing and on a pitch deck. It worked for some people. It never worked for me. So what I prefer to do is get traction and then, and then go and speak to people. Um, ideally, my actually preferred way of fundraising is, I never chase investors. I let them come to us. That has worked really well for us. <laughs> um, the second thing is, uh, generally, you know, when you're early, you don't have a lot of cash. Like leverage remote hiring, hire the best people you can. Don't pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for people. Like your cash is your gold. And uh, even later on, right? Like you should always be you know, very thoughtful on how you spend your money. We actually have like one of our new things that I'm actually gonna show you in the next board meeting and this is our principle. So we have something called thoughtful frugality, right? Like your money is everything and you should spend the money of the company like it's your own. And at, specifically at this stage where like that $2,000 is what can make the difference between you being able to pay for your servers for three weeks more and actually get to a point where you can get funding as well, right? So be super thoughtful on frugality, let investors come to you if you can and uh, just focus on metrics. Like one of the things that worked really well for us at Dylan, we still do it today, we learned that through YC is like we have goals, we have metric goals and we always like narrowed focus on like, are we hitting that like 20% growth, 15% growth, 30% growth this month? And if you, if you nail down this and if you're only focused on that one, you come to the realization faster if things are not working out. So you don't lie to yourself, right? You can iterate a lot faster because if you're not hitting your goals, you're not doing well. And second, it just keeps you focused and you make sure that you keep on executing. So that's, that's for me. <laughs> Amazing. Anish? That's great wisdom. No, absolutely. Plus one to all of that. I think Alex is exactly right. You know, investors, you want customers to love you and then investors will love you. Uh, and I think as an early stage founder, it's easy to mistake investor interest for product market fit. It's just that they're not the same thing. Um, maybe the two things for me is like one, just make something people want, which I know sounds obvious, but I think it's really easy to be, you know, not intellectually honest about how much people actually want what you're making. Because you, you're a founder, you know, you're every day you're telling the story and you're wanting it to be true. But things like having the metrics and getting customer feedback and, you know, really knowing is this something that's a nice to have versus a need to have, it's hard to actually get to that place. And maybe the related point is I would never think about TAM or worry about addressable market because most of the best companies were building in categories that didn't exist. Um, and you know, that, that's a bad way to evaluate your business. I think a much better way is like how much do my customers desperately need and want what I'm making? Yeah. I mean, you know, on point one, it's, it's not only super important to not lie to yourself. Like I've done it right. The first like company I built, I built a product and every single time I think I spent a year and a half building it. All I was saying to myself is 
one more feature and it's going to change one more feature and they're going to love it. And it actually never happens. Uh, and like just to part ways, like one of the things that really worked for me and I still try to do it whenever I can is just talk to your customers until I sometimes still now, but until like two months ago, I would easily clean up like 30, 40 tickets on intercom every day. And just the, the sense and the idea and like the support you get from that one makes you look really good as a founder, right? You care a lot for your customers and you spend time with them. And second, the insights you get and the urgency you get for fixing things because you see them struggle and you see what doesn't work is just invaluable. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. All right. Alex and Anish, thank you both so much for the time today. Love the insights that you shared and I can't wait to see where you'll be taking deal. We'd love that. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the Station Up podcast. This episode is supported by TikTok. If you like this episode, make sure to give us many, many stars. And if you'd like to suggest a topic or a guest, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on Twitter or at Cindy at StationF.co. We're available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and Deezer. So make sure to follow us to not miss any of our upcoming episodes. See you soon.